Well, Happy New Year to all of you. This week not only began a new year, but it began a brand new decade. You know, one of the things that a new year provides for us is opportunity. The opportunity to do what? The opportunity to look back to where we've been, and it gives us an opportunity to look forward to where we're going, which is what this series is all about. Now, when we look back and we evaluate the previous year, that's helpful, okay? That's a good thing. We should look back. But here's the key. When you look back, you can't get stuck there, all right? Because here's what happens to some people. This is what the enemy does. They look back on 2019, and all of a sudden, they start to have a pity party for themselves. Oh, man, 2019 was the worst year ever. My life stinks. Woe is me. That's not why we look back, to have a pity party. The other thing the enemy does is he causes us to look back, and then all of a sudden, all of these feelings of remorse and regret and guilt fill our soul. And it's like, man, I just wasted 2019. I didn't do anything God wanted me to do. Man, I'm a lousy Christian. I'm a lousy husband. I'm a lousy this, that, whatever. Neither of those things is of God. Here's why God wants you to look back. You look back so that you can learn from 2019, so that you're enabled to move forward in 2020. Does that sound good with everybody? You've all heard this line, you can't change the past. It's true. So today and in this series, I'm not going to ask you about your past. I'm not concerned about what happened in 2019. I'm going to ask you another question. I'm going to ask you a question about your future. And here's the question that this whole series this month is based around. Do you know where you are going in 2020? Do you know where you're going? And here's is specifically what I mean by that. Do you have a clear personal vision of what you want to be and what you want to accomplish this year in your life? Spiritually, relationally, professionally, financially, and physically. Do you have a clear idea where you're going in all those areas? Because here's what I find funny. People will spend countless hours, I mean tons of hours, texting, talking, tweeting, emailing, posting on Facebook, watching TV and sports and movies and surfing the internet, but spend no quality time whatsoever developing and implementing a vision for what they want to be and what they want to do this year in their life. I want you to turn in your Bible to a very familiar verse. It's Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And this is where we're going to start, but we're going to go a number of other places in the Scripture this morning. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Here's how the King James puts it. Where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. You've heard that a million times. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I love what the Message Bible reads. The Message Bible reads this way. When people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Or they stumble through life. Now here's the word picture. I want you to see this word picture. When you know what God wants you to do, 
you can walk like this. You can walk with faith, you can walk with confidence, and you walk in direction. You go from point A to point B like that, right? I mean, you are like a bullet. You are laser focused. But here's what the writer of Proverbs is saying. When you don't have a vision, it says people stumble through life like this. Where, where am I going? All right, you got, you got the picture. So he goes on to say, but when people attend or pay attention to what God reveals and what his plan for their lives is, they are most blessed. The goal in this series is to get you walking with vision and not stumbling around anymore. When I talk to people, it's interesting. It doesn't matter what they look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what they've achieved or accomplished. When you get behind the mask, I hear things like this. I feel lost. I, I feel like I'm just going around the same mountain over and over again every year. Uh, it seems like nothing ever changes in my life. My life lacks meaning and purpose. My life doesn't feel very fulfilling. Can I suggest something to you this morning? I suggest that not having a clear vision of where you're going in life is the underlying cause of many of the struggles, many of the frustrations, many of the failures, and even much of the fatigue that people are experiencing in their lives. Life is a journey. We all know that, right? And if you're going on a journey, that means that eventually you're going to end up somewhere at the end of this year, right? Here's the question. Is where you end up at the end of 2020 where you want to be? Is it where you want to be? Or when you get to the end of this year, have you gotten wherever it is you land by default? Because you've been carried along by a river of circumstances or outside cultural forces. The people who take the time and the effort, and to develop a vision for your life does take time and effort. The people who take the time and effort to discover God's vision for their life, here's what happens to them. They end up somewhere on purpose. Gang, at the end of this year, wherever I end up, I want to end up there on purpose. I want it to be the place that I want to be. I don't want to be a place that I was carried along by the whims of life. And so here's our opportunity. As we start a brand new year, I get to choose, you get to choose, whether we remain stuck in the past or whether we move forward. I love what P.K. Bernard said. He said, a person without a vision is a person without a future, and a person without a future will always return to and get stuck in their past. So during the month of January in this series, I want to talk about discovering God's 2020 vision for your life. And that process begins by understanding and answering three questions. Here are the questions. First of all, I want to talk about what is vision, because a lot of people are unclear about what a personal vision is. Number two, what will vision do for you? What does it provide? And number three, what will vision require of you? Are you ready? Here we go. First of all, what is vision? Well, maybe I can start with an illustration. When Walt Disney World opened in Orlando, Florida in 1974, Walt Disney was already dead. He had passed away several years before. 
And on that day of celebration, when they were cutting the ribbon to open that amazing park, Walter Cronkite, the great news reporter, was standing next to Mrs. Disney. And during all of the celebrating, he happened to turn to her and whisper in her ear these words, man, wouldn't it be great if Walt were here to see this today? And very wisely, Mrs. Disney responded this way. She said, Walter, he's already been here. If Walt hadn't seen it first, you wouldn't be seeing it today. That's a great description of vision. What is vision? Vision is a picture of what God wants us to be, what God wants us to do in the future. That picture is so powerful, it, would, it will cause a person to overcome any obstacle or challenge to get it. So now I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah, if you would. Nehemiah chapter 1. And during this month on this series, we're going to be studying a character called Nehemiah. His story is an amazing story of vision. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah. In other words, this is his story. In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa when Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews. I asked them about those that had returned there from captivity. In other words, the Jews that had gone from Babylon back to Jerusalem. All right? He's asking about them. I asked about how things were going in Jerusalem. Verse 3. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah, for they are in great trouble and great disgrace. For the walls of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, if you were listening carefully a moment ago when I described, gave you the definition of vision, you noticed that I didn't say vision is what I want to do. Vision isn't what I want to be. The key to a fulfilling vision, a vision in your life that will bring you joy and meaning and purpose is focusing on what God wants you to do, what he wants you to be. So one of the first things I want you to notice about Nehemiah's vision, and I'm going to encourage you to read this book over and over again throughout this month. Nehemiah's vision was driven by what God wanted. That's why he succeeded. Why do I make an emphasis of this? Because in our culture today, people talk about vision all the time. Business people talk about the need for a vision. Organizations talk about the need for vision. Churches talk about vision. Vision is the 21st century buzzword. But here's the thing. Many people in our world, in our nation today, they've created a vision for their lives. And they've actually accomplished that vision for their lives. But something strange has happened. After they've accomplished their vision they realize that they're still empty, unhappy, and unfulfilled. And the question is, why? It's because it was their plan, not God's plan. It's because they were doing things their way and not God's way. It was a self-centered vision. 
And so a lot of the vision that you hear about in our world today, that you read about in self-help books, is a self-centered vision. This month, we're going to be talking about what is God's vision for my life? What does God want me to be? What does God want me to do in this year of 2020? Now I want you to turn a little further back in the book of the Old Testament to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. Haggai, chapter 1. And let me set the stage here. God is speaking through the prophet Haggai, and he's rebuking the Jewish people because they've come up with a vision, but the vision isn't God's vision. It's a selfish vision, and I want you to notice what he says to them about their vision. Haggai chapter 1, verse 3. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Let me stop right there. So what has happened is that the Jews started to rebuild the temple. But then it became difficult because of obstacles and enemies and persecution. And so they stopped. And so there has been no work done on the foundation of God's house for decades. Weeds have overgrown it. Instead, the Jews turned their attention to building their own homes, to creating their own vision. All right? Pick it up with verse 4, or verse uh, 5. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat and eat and eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink and drink and drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can never get warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. So this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Notice how he says that twice to them. Look at what's happening because of your selfish vision. Now, I want you to go up into the hills. I want you to bring down timber, and I want you to start building my house. For then I will take pleasure in it, and I will be honored, says the Lord. For you hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house, my vision lies in ruins. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, creating your own vision. It's because of you that the heavens have withheld their due and the earth produces no crops. And that I've called for a drought on the fields and the hills. Selfish vision. The Jews had a vision for their lives. But here's the problem. That vision excluded God. And here's the result. Although they had everything, they had these fine, beautiful homes, the Jews were actually doing well. They had nothing. They were empty inside. They weren't satisfied. They couldn't get enough. You see, when we fail to bring God into the process of creating and developing vision for our lives, our vision is always going to be incomplete and flawed. And here's the reason that God needs to be a partner with you in developing vision. Because worldly things like money and fame and fortune and influence and recognition and worldly excellence will not satisfy your soul at the end of the day. In fact, here's what King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11 about his very self-centered 
vision. Here's a man who started off great and he ended very poorly. He said this, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, notice right off the bat, it's bad. My hands had done. And all that I had toiled to achieve. Solomon said, it was all meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon was telling us that any vision created apart from God's vision for our lives is going to be unsatisfying in the end. That only when we create a vision with God will we feel complete and joyful and fulfilled at the end of the day. And I'm going to tell you that's why there's so many discontented people in the world. Especially in America, the richest nation in the world. We have everything, but we have nothing. Because people are creating a vision for their lives in America that has left God out. You can't do that. By the way, as Christians, we don't have the right to take our talents, our abilities, our experiences, our opportunities, and our education and do whatever we please with those things. Why? Because we gave up that right when we surrendered our lives to Jesus and we became his disciples. And we said we would follow him, right? I don't have the right to say, God, I'm going to take the talent you gave me and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. And in the same vein, we as Christians have no right to sit around living visionless lives. That's wasting the life that God gave us. How many Christians do you know? that they're just sitting around, they're not doing anything. They have no vision for their lives. They have no vision for God. That's a waste. We don't have the right to waste what God has given us. We're supposed to be utilizing it. God's vision for our lives will always have an eternal element to it. And it will always be unique to you. That means God wants you to be you, nobody else. He's not gonna try and squeeze you and the vision he has for you into somebody else's mold. He's not making you like your neighbor. That's why you have to pray. You have to seek him and say, God, what is your vision for my life? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? Not what my neighbor's doing or being. And because our lives are multifaceted, they have many components to them, we also need multiple visions for our life. One vision for your life won't do it. Let me illustrate. What do I mean by that? Well, our life is composed of different compartments, right? We have a spiritual life, we have marriage, we have family, we have career, we have finances, we have health. We need a vision for every one of those areas of our life. What is your vision for your family this year, your marriage? Do you have one? What are you gonna do to improve your marriage this year? Do you have a game plan? How about your finances? How about your health? How about your walk with God? You see, God's vision is not just about us. It will benefit us. It will bless us. That's what the text we read says. But it's about transforming the people and the world around us because that's where our human spirit finds its greatest joy and fulfillment, when we're helping other people, when we're transforming cities and communities, right? When we're transforming the little area of the world that God has given us power and authority over in our workplace, in our neighborhood, wherever it may be that God sends you. And then we must realize that vision is not only about what we see, vision is also about how we see it. It's seeing our lives through God's eyes instead of our own eyes. 
That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, said this in the Message Bible. I ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, who is the God of glory, to make you intelligent and understanding and discerning in knowing him personally, so that your eyes are focused and clear, so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. That's exactly what this series is about helping you to see exactly what it is that God is calling you to do. So what is vision? Vision is simply a picture of what God wants you to do and be. Question number two, why is vision important? What does it give me? What does it provide for me? Well, vision is important because a lot of people are living their lives like a contractor who's trying to build a house, but he doesn't have a blueprint. How many of you know that would be a mess? You don't want the guy that's building your house to do it without a blueprint. So a lot of people are trying to live their lives and they have no clear vision for what they're trying to build. They don't have a blueprint. So what are they doing? They're winging it. They're guessing at it. They're making assumptions. That always ends badly, doesn't it? Once again, without a vision, we will stumble through life Letting circumstances and events and other people determine our future. I don't know about you, I don't want anybody else determining my future. I don't want to let circumstances determine my future. Having a vision of what God wants you to do and be in every area of your life is important because there are five things that it will give to you, it will provide for you. And we find these in the story of Nehemiah. Number one, vision will give you passion. What is the definition of passion? It's a strong, compelling emotion or feeling that drives individuals to act. Do you realize that the word passion did not exist in the world until the crucifixion of Jesus? It was a word that was specifically created to describe the crucifixion. So in Mel Gibson's movie a number of years ago, what did he call it? The Passion of the Christ. That word, passion, described the compelling emotion of love that Jesus had for mankind that drove him to endure such horrible suffering, all for us, right? Passion. And so as you read through the book of Nehemiah, the first thing you'll notice is his passion. He has a passion to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because he loves God and he loves Jerusalem. Vision evokes passion and energy in us. Unless we have a clear picture of what we're doing, it's hard to get excited about something, right? There's no passion, there's no energy behind it. But vision gives us a picture of the future that we can get excited and energized and passionate about. Number two, vision provides direction for our lives. Vision acts as a roadmap. It gives focus to our life, okay? Because part of the problem is you hit what you aim at. And if you're aiming at nothing, you will hit nothing, right? So vision just simply gives us a clear target to aim at, right? Let me go back to the illustration. We're walking, right? People stumble because they don't have a target. But if you have a target, you can walk straight to the target, right? There are hundreds of voices that are calling out for your time and attention every day. Those voices want to sap your time, your resources, and your energy so that you don't have anything left 
for the vision that God has for your life. So you've got to be careful that you don't get derailed, that you're focused. When you read Nehemiah, you'll discover there were all kinds of distractions that were trying to keep him from building the wall. I mean, lots of distractions. It's amazing that he ever got that wall built. But the reason he did, he was focused. Nehemiah had a clear direction that allowed him to focus his time, his resources, and his energy on what mattered. Are you giving the best of your life to what matters? Research has shown this, that when people know where they're going in life, it creates two things, less stress. How many of you like less stress in your life? Then figure out where you're going. And it makes them happier in life. And when we know where we're going, something else also happens. It makes decision-making in our life easier. Because every day like you, I have lots of things that I could give my time or attention to. In fact, there are lots of good things that I would like to be doing, but I don't do them. Why? Because they don't line up with my vision. They're not bad. They're not sinful. They're great. I'd love to do them. I mean, I've got a bucket list of things a mile along that I'd like to be doing. But here's, here's the thing. Anything that moves me toward my vision gets a green light in my life. Anything that moves me away from the vision that God has for me gets a red light, even if it's a good thing. And so I have a lot of good things that have the red light right now in my life. Vision is like a compass. It's constantly pointing you true north. It helps you prioritize what is the most important thing for me to be doing. Thirdly, motivation. Vision provides motivation. When you have vision, it's funny how even the mundane, routine disciplines of life start to matter. Why? Because you see the big picture. You see how those little things are going to help you to get to the big thing. For example, if I said, after this service today, I need all of you to go outside and I need you to fill bags with sand. That doesn't necessarily excite or motivate you, does it? You're like, why? But if I asked you to do it because a flood was coming and those bags were going to create a wall to keep floodwaters from destroying people's lives and their property, you'd probably be highly motivated to do it. Why? Because there's vision behind what I ask you to do. Filling sandbags is a mundane task, right? It's not the kind of thing we normally want to do. But if there's a vision, we'll do it. And so it's the lack of vision that causes many people to start things and never finish things in their life. It's the lack of vision. There are a lot of dreamers in this world. And there's nothing wrong with being a dreamer because all great ideas start as a dream. But you have to understand there is a difference between being a dreamer and being a visionary. Here's what it is. Dreamers sit around thinking about how nice it would be to do something. Visionaries work to discover a way to actually make it happen. So you can start dreaming about something, but that dream needs to move to vision, otherwise nothing ever happens. You're always starting things and never finishing them. So vision is what motivates us to get something done. Number four, vision provides purpose to our lives. It gives you a reason or a purpose for doing something. Why is that important? Because God created you 
internally to have purpose and meaning. And when people don't have a sense of purpose or meaning, they don't wanna do stuff. Because we're always like, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's my meaning in life, right? It's one of the great questions of life. We want to know why. In fact, when your kids were small, two, three, four years old, what was the question that they drove you nuts with? They get to a stage all of a sudden, why? Why, Dad? Why, Ma? Why? 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 Until you want to scream, right? It's hardwired into us. Why are we doing what we're doing? And when we don't have a why, that means there's no purpose or meaning to what we're doing, and so we won't do it. Or what we're doing, even the living of our Christian lives, becomes a boring drudgery because we don't have a why. God created you for a purpose. He didn't create you to exist. So in 1617, Christopher Wren, who was the architect of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, observed three bricklayers who were working on a building, that particular building. They were working on his cathedral, but they didn't know who he was, the architect. And he asked each of them the same question, what are you doing? The first bricklayer responded and said, I'm working hard laying bricks so that I can feed my family. And Christopher Wren said, okay, yeah. Second bricklayer said, I'm building a wall. What do you think I'm doing? Duh. Right? But the third bricklayer's response captured Wren's attention. Because he noticed this, this man was working with a lot of passion and a lot of motivation. And when he asked this man the question, the man responded this way, I am building a great cathedral for the Almighty God. Do you hear the vision in that? I'm not just out here laying bricks and slapping around mortar. I'm building a cathedral for the Almighty God. He didn't see himself as a bricklayer. He saw himself as a cathedral builder. In the same way, Nehemiah wasn't just building a wall. He was protecting God's name and God's people from being disgraced and dishonored. So here's the question. What's your why today? Why are you going to get up tomorrow morning? Do you have a vision for your life that gives meaning and purpose to your daily routine? Because if you don't, it's going to be boring. It's going to be a drudgery. Do you have a vision burning in your soul that is stirring up your passion, that is motivating you? And then finally, the fifth thing that vision gives us is perseverance. When you have a vision that fills your life with passion and direction and purpose and motivation, here's what you will find. You will be able to persevere through anything. You'll be able to outlast your enemies. You'll be able to outlast and get through obstacles that want to derail and stop your vision. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us by God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, goes on to tell us that in order to experience the joy of seeing the vision of salvation for mankind accomplished, what did Jesus have to do? It says right there, Jesus had to endure the cross. In other words, he had to persevere through tough times. Nehemiah had to persevere to get the wall built. 
He faced persecution. He faced ridicule. They sabotaged his wall, not once or twice, but numerous times. He underwent character assassination, physical attacks. At one point, they're building the wall with a trowel in one hand and a spear in the other. Just to get it done. You will need perseverance to accomplish the vision that you have for your spiritual life, your marriage, because it's under attack, your family's under attack, your career, your finances, all of it. But here's the cool thing. Vision will give you a future worth fighting and persevering for. And then the third question is this. So what does vision require? There were six things that Nehemiah had to do to develop and execute his vision. Number one, we have to identify what's most important to us. Identify what's most important to you. Now, when I say that, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your core values. What are the non-negotiables in your life? What are the things that are the bedrock beliefs of your life? You have to know that before you can start discovering and developing your vision, right? Here at Life Church, we have seven core values, and they drive everything that we do. And you can find those values out in the lobby, up on the wall. Nehemiah was a man with a vision. But what drove his vision? It was his core value. What was his core value? His love for God and his love for Jerusalem. There was no way he was going to stand by and watch God and watch Jerusalem become disgraced and unprotected. And so it birthed the vision in him to rebuild the wall that had been destroyed. Now here's where it gets interesting. What you actually value and believe about your relationship with God, your family and your marriage, your health, your finances, your community, your career, and all kinds of other things, is what will motivate you either to take action or to sit on your blessed assurance. It comes down to what you believe. What are your core values? Now, there's this thing called espoused core values. People have, and companies and churches have lots of espoused core values. Those are the core values that they put on a poster and they hang it in the office or they hang it in their home or they have it on their phone, screensaver, and they say, I believe in this. But they don't do this. Their life doesn't reflect this. That's called an espoused value. You don't want an espoused value. You want a value that you're actually living out. Vision starts with taking the time to identify with, what, with what's most important to you. Number two, you got to know what's most important to God. Do you know what God has asked you to do in his word? What's important to God? Say, I don't know. Well, you know where you find out? Study the word. Study the Bible. When we study the Bible, we find God's vision for building relationship with him. We find God's plan for marriage, God's plan for our families, God's plan for our health, our finances, our career, the communities we live in, lost people. Nehemiah's burden for Jerusalem came from somewhere. It came because he was a student of the Word. And if you look at the Word, the Old Testament is filled with verses about how much God loves Jerusalem, right? So here's the key. If something is important to God, it needs to be important to us. 
President Teddy Roosevelt once said, if a man is not familiar with the Bible, he has suffered a loss for which he had better make all possible haste to correct. For a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. I love that. So what does developing vision require? That you know what's important to you, you know what's important to God. Number three, that you pray. Prayer is a critical part of developing a vision for our lives. Verse four says that Nehemiah prayed and fasted for days to gain a clear vision of what he needed to do. The reason that we are having a week of prayer instead of five minutes of prayer this month is because it takes time to get the vision. And I want to encourage you this month to take time to seek God's vision for your life. Prayer helps us to see what God sees and what we don't. Because I don't know about you, but many times I only see what I'm looking for. And I miss the things that weren't on my radar that God wants to show me. So what happens when I pray? When I pray, God opens my heart. He opens my mind. He opens my eyes to see and experience things that I would have never seen or thought about in the natural. It's amazing. Prayer sensitizes our spirit to God opportunities. And so Nehemiah prayed for two things in verse 11. The first thing that he prayed for was opportunity. He prayed for the opportunity to do something for God. In other words, Nehemiah didn't pray that God would rebuild the wall. Oftentimes when we pray our prayer some something like this, God, fix my marriage. God, fix my kids. God, fix my finances. God, fix whatever. Nehemiah didn't ask God to fix it. Nehemiah prayed for an opportunity so that he could fix it. He wasn't asking God to do something instead of him. He was looking for an opportunity, get this, to partner with, to work with God to, to change the situation because he didn't expect God to do the work. So when we pray for vision, we aren't asking God to fix or to do things in our life. We're asking for the opportunity to work with God to get the job done. That's so crucial. And then the second thing that Nehemiah prayed about was favor, because he needed favor from his boss, the king, because the king had the power to give him what he needed to accomplish the vision. You see, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. What does that mean? What did a cupbearer do? Well, he had one job. Before the king drank or ate anything, he tasted it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Great job, huh? A lot of longevity there. So he wasn't a rich guy. He was a lowly servant. He needed the king's help. So he prays because he needed the king to give him a leave of absence so he could return to Jerusalem. He needed a letter of guarantee for safe passage because the path to get to Jerusalem was filled with robbers and thieves, and he needed resources to build the wall. And guess what? The king granted all three requests. Vision comes into being through prayer. There are no shortcuts. Number four, we need to seek wise counsel as we're developing our vision. And that's all I'm going to say about that one because last week I spent an entire message talking about who are you listening to? And I talked about wise counsel. So if you missed that message, you're going to want to go on the website and you're going to watch last week's message. Number five, what does it require for a vision? We have to make a plan. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, God tells Habakkuk, 
write the vision down and make it clear or make it plain on tablets. So every vision, in order to be successful, has to have a clear plan or strategy to accomplish it. And this was the key. Nehemiah started creating a plan the very first day he saw the need in Jerusalem. The first day his heart was touched, he started planning. So here's my question for you. If God were to open the door of opportunity and give you favor to do the thing that you're asking him to do, have you made a plan? Are you prepared? If God were to open the door today, are you ready to go? You need to be. Because you never know when God's going to open that door. You never know when God's going to give you favor. Do you have a plan in place to improve your spiritual life this year? To improve your marriage this year, your family, your finances, whatever it is? I go back to Proverbs 29, 18. People are perishing. They're wandering aimlessly, wasting their lives. Why? Because they have no vision. They have no plan. And finally, number six, what does it require to develop a vision? That your vision be God-centered and other-centered. See, if my vision only helps me, if it only blesses me, it's not much of a vision. It's a selfish vision. I'm like the people in the book of Haggai. It needs to bless others. So when I have God's vision for my marriage, here's what it's going to do. It's not only going to bless my wife and bless my children and bless me, but it's going to bless other people who are looking at my marriage. When I have God's vision for my finances, it's not just that God's going to bless me. I'm going to be a blessing to other people, and I'm going to be a blessing to the kingdom. When I have God's vision for being healthy, it's not just going to bless me by increasing the years of my life. It's going to bless other people because I have many more years to minister on this earth. It's going to bless my family because I'm around longer, right? So today as we close, here's my challenge to you. I want you to take this month of January and I want you to set aside time to pray, to study the Bible, to decide what's important to you, what's important to God, to seek counsel, start working on a plan for what you want to see happen in your life spiritually, in your family, in your marriage, in your career, your ministry, your finances, your health, any areas that you want in 2020. That's what we're working on as a church this month. Your personal vision of what God wants you to do and be in all of those areas this year. Because we need to have a vision for our lives. Because otherwise, we're just going to get carried along the stream of mediocrity. And what's going to happen? When 2020 is all done, we're going to be in the same place we were at the end of 2019. And so I want to challenge you. Take the time. I know it takes time. Make the effort. I know it takes effort. Develop a vision. Spend time with God. Set aside this month and say, God, show me with what your vision for my life is. What do you want me to be? What do you want me to do this year? And we're being specific, this year. Because sometimes when we say, what do you want me to do in my life, period, unending, that's too hard. How about we just get vision for this year? And then next year we'll do this again and we'll get vision for 2021. And by the time you end your life, you'll look back and go, wow, I really did a lot. God really did a lot. Does that make sense? So it's this year. 
God, what do you want to do this year? Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, come, and I pray that you would stir within our hearts right now. God, use the words, use the scriptures today to get us excited about the possibilities of what you would want to do in our lives and through us this year. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the first priority for getting your life on track, for getting a vision, is you've got to make sure that you're in right relationship with Jesus. Some of you may be here today, and this is the first time you've been in church in a long while. Maybe you're here today and you know, even as you've heard this message, that you've drifted from God's plan and purposes for your life. You know what? You get it right in this moment. You can say, Jesus, I'm coming back to you. Jesus, I'm making you the center of my life. If that's you and you need to do that, why don't you just tell him that right now? Say, Jesus, I'm back. I went on a little detour, but I'm back. Speak to me. Get your relationship with him right. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with him. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. Then you need to do that. You need to get things right with God. You need to receive his free gift of salvation, forgiveness. And if you need to do that, you're here this morning, you've never done it before. I'm just going to encourage you to slip your hand up and slip it back down again. And we'll all pray. Is there someone this morning? With your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, here's what I want you to think about. What is the biggest roadblock, roadblock that has stopped you from creating a vision for your life? I want you to think about that. Let the Holy Spirit bring it to your mind. What's your biggest roadblock as you hear this message this morning? What's that thing that's yakking in your head saying you can't do this because of? Got it in your mind? Now I want you to lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, would you give me the strength and the wisdom to break through that roadblock? Because he will help you. No one said it was easy. And finally, I want you to think about three practical steps that you need to go out of here and do based off what you've heard this morning. Maybe you need to spend more time in prayer. Maybe you need to figure out what your core values are. Maybe you need to figure out what's important to God. Maybe you need to make a plan, whatever it is. What are the three, what are three things that you need to do starting today when you leave this place? that are going to help you to develop a vision for 2020. Three things. And so, Lord, I just thank you that you're speaking to people, that you're removing roadblocks, and this is going to be the best year that Life Church and the people of Life Church has ever seen. For your honor and your glory and for the benefit of others.